Ah, uh, welcome to Cashing in the Northwest. You know, it's the official podcast of Geo Woodstock 18 right here in the great Pacific Northwest. Each week, we're going to talk about caches and cashers from here and all around the globe. So while you're pondering how the moon landing was faked, we'll be cashing in the Northwest. And you know, we can't do that until we bring in our steamy co-host. Some people ask why the railroad tracks were angry. Well, my friend, it's because they're always being crossed. All we know is we call him Subway Mark. Yeah, but you got to be careful with those crossings. You will get killed. Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, terrible way to die. Yeah, that would be. That, that's an Australian thing. Dumb, is a dumb way to die. Yeah, the dumb ways to die. Dumb ways to die. That was it. Hey, well, thanks for having me back. Appreciate that. Hey, you're welcome. Now, tonight, we've got a guest with us. In case you didn't already just look ahead right there at the video and see, we've got Keats94, and he's talking about everything we need to know about footwear. Everything, Keats. No pressure. Yep. Uh, thanks for having me on again, and uh, I will uh, do my best to show you uh, all the kicks around footwear. Oh, the kicks. I like that. Nicely played. Nice. Hey, a quick reminder that we appreciate the support of all of our patrons who help keep this podcast coming each and every week. And thanks to the Land Sharks, our corporate Denali level sponsor. If you want to know more about supporting the show, go on over to cashingnw.com, find that Patreon link, and you'll get all the details there. Now, well, okay. Uh, GSM times two wants to know where is Land Monkey in Wits End? Well, with people like Subway Mark and Keats94, do we really need them? I don't think so. No, I, we do. They're good friends, and they are both traveling this evening. So we've got a special show for you. This I've is a show built from the ground up. I've heard the show has soul. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Love it. Okay, but you know what else this show has? Not only soul, but glow. Doesn't quite rhyme, and it sounded better in my head than when it came out. But the glow is the geocaching log of the week. So whether you read it or whether you wrote it, we want to hear about it because great logs simply make geocaching better. Send an email or field recording to feedback at cachingnw.com. Call into 253-693-TFTC and use the voicemail tool right there on the website and show us how you glow without hitting the mic. You can show us how you glow. Now, we have a glow from Sprouter. He found number 50, pure insanity. For those playing the home game, that's uh, two Bravo, one Yankee Bravo. Would you like me to read it? Oh, sure. All right. So let me let me take this over. So, wow, what an adventure. I remember first hearing of this cache two years ago at a cache dash and splash event. I was going to head that way, but, but time restricted me. Time went on. And to be honest, I had forgot all about this cache. Fast forward two years, I made a last minute decision to head to Longview for an event. While there, I was talking to Y2K and he said that he and a few other cachers were going to attempt this cache after an event. Well, pencil me in. We agreed to meet at Tharyar's house before heading out because of the limited parking near the cache. So we piled into two cars and made the short drive to the parking area. Once there, we took the short trip down to the base of the ladder. I probably spouted out some inappropriate adjectives when I saw the ascent. Y2K went up first and then Tharyar and then Razzle Dazzle. I, on the other hand, was pacing back and forth at the bottom, trying to get the courage to make the climb and admiring the beautiful waterfall nearby. After about 20 minutes and no hucklebuckle from the search party, I called a previous finder, fat old guy. I think my first words to him as soon as he answered the phone was, you climbed this bleep ladder. He chuckled and said, sure did. Well, that sealed the deal for me. I was going up. I started my ascent extremely slow and steady and continued that pace to the top. I soon joined the rest of the group and start searching the grounds. Y2K that was on the PFA call, which helped phone a friend, which helped us narrow the search area and soon after had the cash in hand. I can safely say that I will not be going up that way, that thing again, but I'm sure glad I did. 
I almost felt like a young kid again when all was said and done. It was a great time. To all others who attempt this cash, know that if I was able to accomplish this, you, you too can get it done. Wow, what an adventure. Signed, the log. Thanks for the cash. You know, I had to go look at the uh, pictures for this cash, and it looks to be about, I could be exaggerating, 100 feet of ladder laid on a hillside. So it's either chain ladder or some sort of flexible ladder. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's quite a climb. Because that thing could bend, couldn't it? Like in yeah. the, especially if you catch a gust of wind. Like, uh, well, it's laid on the on the hillside. You're not actually oh, climbing up okay. in space on it. All right. But uh, even so, that uh, I look at that going, wow, I would I would think twice about climbing that. Not for those uh, who have vertigo or are afraid of heights. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. exactly. Folks, if you want to add to the chat tonight, use the hashtag boots right there in the chat. And of course, you can always use the hashtag fatas if you want a topic for the after show. Dora Moore tonight says, I don't have a question. I just really like the hashtag this week. <laughs> hashtag boots. So, Keats, thank you for coming back on. You seem to be our resident expert with clothing and hiking gear and uh, it just seemed like a natural fit when we got a couple of questions about what are good quality hiking boots to wear now before we get into that subject can you tell us a little bit about some of your recent geocaching adventures hi uh yeah thanks again for having me on the show um about i guess uh about a few weeks ago i went on a, a hashtag uh, geocache road trip to okanagan falls um, and uh, just kind of doing some general caching, but I uh, finally finished up a geoart that I had been, I, I had dean after three of these of these caches along the Kettle Valley Railway Trail, and uh, after about, uh, well, about three years uh, since uh, since going over there, I, I, I righted those DNFs, and uh, so now I have a nice, beautiful looking uh, wine glass uh, geoart. Uh, you'll, you'll see it right in uh, Lake Okanagan. Um, so it was a good, um, it was, it was a good trip. Uh, it was quite warm, uh, typical Okanagan heat, lots of cacti, um, lots of great pictures. Uh, it's, it was a definitely a fun experience. And also, uh, last, last Monday I headed up to Sumas mountain, uh, to do just a nice, uh, row of caches, uh, along the, um, it's a trail that goes up to a lake called Chadsey Lake. Um, and each cache along the way um, has its own qualities. Um, some of them have been up there for, for quite a while, so it was nice to, to get those uh, for the Jasmer grid. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was a, so far it's been a great summer. That's great. You know, just last week I cleared up some DNFs and was able to finish out a series as well. Maybe it's that time of year. Get out, it always, clean up your DNFs. It always feels good. It just does. It's just awesome seeing that that blue sad face turn into a smile. Exactly. Yep. Now, oh, did you have something, Mark? Oh, no, I, I totally agree. It, it, yeah. Hey, one of these days, I need to do the Kettle Valley Trail. That would be pretty awesome. There are tons out there. I, it's uh, it's amazing. <laughs> Wait, is that railroad themed? Uh, Kettle Valley Railway, maybe. Ah, and you haven't done it? No. <laughs> I know, I'm bad. Did you hear that sound? That was the sound of my bubble bursting. <laughs> it's the I, ultimate power trail. It's I, nice and flat, railway grade. It's perfect. That's the perfect ones. Yeah. Now, Keats, if I'm not mistaken, and I can't be since this is my show, haven't you found at least one cache or one treasure on the Great Trail treasure hunt? I have. Um, one day I decided instead of well, geocaching, I would go out and try to find as many of these great trail treasure hunt caches uh, around the Vancouver area. I ended up finding uh, three out of four. Um, and uh, it was, yeah, I, I ended up being first to find on one of them uh, out by New Brighton Park. Um, great, great caches. Uh, definitely, um, if there are still some remaining out there, do do check them out. Um, there are quite a few also along the, the Sea to Sky corridor um, up between uh, West Vancouver and up to Whistler, uh, BC. So definitely um, uh, check them out. Um, they're pretty well stocked, um, and yeah, um, you'll you'll find a few 
few more. Hopefully, they'll 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 last a little a little longer than uh, than they have in recent uh, years. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's been going on for at least two years, if not two years. More. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to be surprised with how much I know about the Great Trail. Now, first of all, we'll start with the Great Trail Treasure Hunt. It's a geocaching-inspired contest. Uh, returning this year with 200 treasure box hidden across Canada's Great Trail. What is the Great Trail, you may ask? Well, the Great Trail uh, was known as the Trans-Canada Trail. It's almost uh, 24,000 kilometers across the, uh, the entire country from coast to coast. And it claims to be the world's longest recreational trail. I'm not going to argue with it. Hence the Great Trail. That's probably the Great, yeah. But isn't everything in Canada great, like the Great White North? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the Great Keats. I greatly appreciate that. Is, do, um, you to, do you have to refer to you as your greatness from now it on? Is, he <laughs> is in the greater Vancouver area. So. Yeah, see? Technically, that has changed. It's actually metro Vancouver area, but I'll take it. It, it, <laughs> it, is, it is a pretty great area. Uh, Bryling corrects me. It's from coast to coast to coast. There are yeah. three coasts. That's right. And the trail really winds. Yes, it like does. it's a very windy trail. I've met like just just down uh, actually just just north of me. There's a sign that says uh, how far away St. John's, Newfoundland is, and I think it's said about uh, sixteen thousand kilometers away. If you were to follow the Great Trail, as the crow flies, maybe only twelve. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then you got moose and trees and. Polar bears and oh, uh, sure. <laughs> so uh if you go to the great trail treasure hunt.ca you can find clues to the 200 prizes stashed across canada and they'll be released periodically with every rec- every clue releasing more details surrounding the location of these elusive treasure boxes the prizes range from gift cards to cameras to canadian geographic subscriptions did did you win anything, Keats, in your first to find? I I did. I won. Uh, it's a, a nine ninety nine point nine uh, silver coin. They put in um, in the the caches. I, I could be wrong about that percentage, but it is definitely in the nineties. Uh, the ninety percentage point. Um, yeah, it was it was a good prize. It kind of uh, showed everything about like all the different facts about you know all the different provinces. It kind of came in this little booklet thing. And um, yeah, it was um, it was it was it was cool to to to, to see that. I wasn't expecting to uh, to be first on that one, but uh, yeah, it's fun. Cool. cool. So not quite geocaching, but very much like geocaching, just because the listings are on a different site. That's really all it is. And the prizes, like you can win, are quite mm-hmm. quite actually very impressive. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you uh, go head on over to the great trail treasure hunt.ca and look for those here, I'm going to put that in the chat right now and, and uh, look for those. If they're, if you're nearby, even if you're not nearby, head on over. Now in the last several weeks, the importance of proper footwear has uh, really been made important to me because, well, as I was telling my host just before we went on air, uh, I was walking in a park we were doing a uh, cache series right here in Tacoma. And I was looking at my phone after finding the cache, looking for the next one. I was 200 feet away from the car when I stepped in a hole and twisted my ankles and twisted my ankle on both sides. And I knew as soon as I did it, you know, I was done for the day, but uh, I still managed to limp to get the final. I'd done all the work. We were two away. We had one more to find in the final and I wasn't going to give up. Um, but if I had had proper boots on, I don't think I would have twisted my ankle uh, so badly. So proper footwear is one of the essentials we should take on any geocaching adventure. Often they're hikes, but you could be right here in the city and still need a good pair of hiking shoes. So where do we start in getting a good pair of shoes? I mean, what what's the appropriate shoe for the occasion? Well, yeah, I will go through a list of the different types of shoes. I, I won't go too far into like you know, what pronation means and the technical boot fitting uh, uh, things that we at uh, Mountain Equipment Co-op do. Um, but uh, I will talk first about sandals. 
actually I went kayaking recently and um, the thing that I forgot, I was just getting off work and uh, met up with a friend. And uh, the thing that I did forget in my bag was sandals. And actually having sandals while you're kayaking is great. You don't want to have running shoes um, just because you are going to be probably in the water launching a kayak. Um, and so that's, I mean, kayaking is one of the, um, the, the activities that, 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 that you might need sandals for, but you could also use sandals just for walking along a beach. Um, I mean, simple stuff like that where, you know, you're looking for a nice level of breathability. You're kind of chilling at the beach or you're chilling up on the pool side. Um, things like that. Uh, the thing I will say about sandals, um, and I learned about this uh, when I was actually in the Okanagan region, do not wear sandals when you are near cacti. Uh, because this, at least around the Okanagan, you have a lot of cacti with barbs and they will stick into your feet uh, like no tomorrow. Um, so um, definitely I would recommend something a little more uh, toe covering uh, for um, kind of that purpose. Uh, never in any way uh, use sandals on hardcore mountain trails. Uh, that's just a no-no. You could bring them in like, you know, hike to Mount Everest and, you know, at the campground wear sandals if you wanted to. But uh, for, for that purpose. You're, or you're on the drive home. Yeah, precisely. I, I have a pair of Tiva sandals that I absolutely love. I've had them for years and uh, they're, you know, adjustable in different ways and, and they really hold well to my feet and I use them quite a bit, but you know, not with cacti. I, I did have a cacti experience this week though. I had forgot there was cacti in Yakima, Washington. Oh. And I was looking for a geocache and I just, I brushed against one without thinking and uh, I just had tennis shoes on or running shoes with, uh, with low socks. And sure enough, I had cacti barbs in my, uh, ankle there and it, it was no fun. Oh. So it just, you know, wear armor around those things. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, uh, there are many different species of cacti too, but, uh, yeah. Um, so that yeah, sandals great for water sports um, and, 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 canoe, and canoeing and whatnot. Um, but uh, if if you want to go on a more kind of casual trail, say it's a nice paved path or even just a simple gravel path, um, I do recommend something like running shoes. Running shoes typically are lighter weight than something like hiking shoes, which I'll get into later. Um, Running shoes also tend to have a bit more cushion as well. I actually uh, have brought, uh, I never thought I would show my shoes on a podcast, but here we go. Um, <laughs> You'll have to describe them because, you know, the audio <laughs> podcast gets more downloads in the video. Yeah. <laughs> These shoes have seen some seen some things, man. I mean, uh, the, this is a pretty old shoe. You've been everywhere. What's that? You've been everywhere, man. <laughs> so they, they, They've been to the other side of the country and back, I think, almost twice. Um, you have no soul. <laughs> I've, worn, <laughs> I've worn them out. This is actually uh, a, an interesting uh, point to be made. Do um, get get new shoes if they wear out this much. <laughs> yep. um, anyway, and, and the other thing is actually, while I'm showing you these shoes, I may as well show you that when you walk through thorns and certain things like this, and it's made out of this kind of material where it's kind of a meshy material, you might have thorns dig into the shoe and then that causes rips like this. So, I mean, just for driving purposes and more casual stuff, I'm using these for now, but um, they are on their last legs, so to speak. Uh -huh. um, but uh, yeah, anyway, they're, they're Columbia shoes. They work pretty well. I got them at Sportcheck. Um, and, uh, you know, they, 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 they've worked. Um, they used to be waterproof. Uh, no longer. So, um, yeah, uh, no, large holes tell me they're no longer waterproof. Yeah. They're, right. they're kind of more like really covered sandals. Yeah. There you go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, <laughs> these actually just in, in comparison, these are my, these are my sandals. They're, they're from the Keen brand. Um, Keen tends to fit wider footed people. Uh, so if you have a wide foot, uh, Keen has a wide variety of wide variety of options uh, that uh, might be able to suit your uh, wide foot needs. Um, they also sell hiking boots as well. Um, 
yeah, so running shoes, definitely good for kind of simple, casual stuff that you don't expect to be in, in too much of a thorny situation. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, um, definitely for kind of casual caching. And I actually tend to, I mean, when I'm driving, I don't like to wear my hiking boots when I'm driving. I don't think it's even quite frankly that safe. So I, I just wear running shoes when I do that, that, that kind of thing. Um, I and, found recently that running shoes aren't made like they're, they used to be. Mm. Um, you know, I, my running shoes still look good on the outside, but they've broken down on the inside. To where, you know, I'm stand, I, I, it's what I tend to wear most days to work. And as I'm standing around, I was like, man, my feet hurt. And I looked down and said, my shoes aren't beat up and damaged. It it can't be that. Well, yeah, it is. It's time. Yeah. Or, or just replace the inner sole, the innards. You can do that. Yeah. The inner sole is looking pretty like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's, that's done. (laughs) There's no sole. There's no sole there. Uh, it's good uh, that we can't smell them through the through the screen because uh, anyway, I think that's another. Can. I think we can <laughs> all the way to Washington, great right? <laughs> Oregon too. Oh, that's impressive. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Keats, I'll let you know. People in the chat feel sorry for you and your shoes. That uh, perhaps we should we should start a GoFundMe to replace your shoes. I I think I appreciate that. Um, I, I definitely. Uh, um, we'll be getting shoes, uh, very shortly. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, definitely, um, that's kind of like the go-to level of footwear that I tend to get. Um, but there is a step up and kind of, so to speak, um, of another type of shoe, uh, that is designed primarily for ankle support, um, for trails that are more rockier, they, they just uh, are that much more rugged. I don't have an example with me today, but um, hiking shoes is what, they, is what they're called. They tend to have a slightly higher um, side, like not, not full hiking boot, like you can probably fit your ankle bone over top of, of the shoe, but it just has that, that more, a little bit more rigidity. Not gonna have as much cushion necessarily, uh, I think there might be some some hiking shoes out there that might feel like you're standing on clouds, but um, there there are um, the, the the main purpose of a hiking shoe is to you know be able to go up that trail uh, without having to feel like you have lead weights on your feet um, because you know when you get into hiking boots and you know there is a time and place for a hiking boot, um, but when you're doing a simple kind of day hike, say. I mean, in my in my neck of the woods, we got we 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 have the grouse grind, um, which is um, a steep trail. But I mean, a lot of people do prefer even running shoes to go up that trail. Um, uh, my like, if I were a park ranger breathing down people's necks, I would definitely tell them uh, to uh, wear hiking shoes because uh, of that ankle support. You don't want to roll your ankle, especially in the North Shore Mountains. There are so many. Um, situations where people have uh, gone out into the backcountry with poor footwear, not only poor, poor footwear, but poor supplies, and uh, they end up in, in a pretty nasty situation. So um, my uh, my preference for those kinds of hikes, say during the House Sound Crest Trail, um, let's see, like, um, what are some really uh, good or kind of common hikes in Washington State or, or Oregon that I could use in it as an example? You know, it's, it's very similar. Um, we get a lot of, if you're in parks and that you get a lot of trails with, um, uh, mulch on it, Mm -hmm. you know, wood chips and such or gravel. So, I mean, you know, there, a hiking shoe would be fine. Something that maybe has a thicker sole than a running shoe. Just especially, especially if like you go up the Columbia River Gorge and go up the waterfall trails and stuff like that, because there's going to be moist and stuff like that mm-hmm. and muddy. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's um, definitely a good uh, there, there, there is a time and place for, for hiking uh, shoes. <clears throat> but if you're going into, say, you're you're planning to do like a full day of hiking and you're going into even more rugged terrain, um, maybe a nice pair of day hiking boots um, is is a good idea. Um, I, I used to actually use day hiking boots quite a bit. And then I learned that there is a distinction between 
backpacking boots and day hiking boots. Really? Day hiking, yes. Uh, day hiking boots are lighter weight. They may be a little bit more breathable um, and therefore may not necessarily be as, as waterproof. Um, so I ended up actually going through quite a few of these day hiking boots uh, because I was going up to, you know, uh, Cape Scott Provincial Park, which is on the north tip of Vancouver Island, um, with, with the, yeah, these, these lightweight day hikers and it was raining and like, oh, my feet are getting kind of wet after like the first day. So um, definitely if you're going up a mountain on a nice sunny day, then yeah, wear, wear a pair of day hiker boots. Some day hiker boots are definitely more waterproof than others. Uh, most of these boots tend to be Gore-Tex. Uh, some of them tend to not be. You will definitely see a price difference uh, in Gore-Tex and non-Gore-Tex boots. Um, some people do prefer non-Gore-Tex uh, for just their, they, they prefer breathability. And Gore-Tex is known for breathability, but people sweat differently. Uh, so definitely, um, well, You'll, I guess you'll eventually kind of find out which boot is the best fit, so to speak. But um, what I would suggest is, is you know, start with a day hiker boot if you tend to do those kinds of hikes. Um, but if you are, you know, into something a little more extreme, like, uh, well, let's just say uh, doing a multi-day hike uh, along the West Coast Trail, um, or an, a, another hike uh, in the lower mainland or kind of low, well, north of the lower mainland is the Stein Valley. I had a coworker just uh, just complete that uh, that trail and it's a pretty hardcore 150, I think it's a 150 kilometer trail uh, through the mountains and and, um, and into the Alpine. Um, and for that, you're definitely going to want to have something very durable, uh, quite waterproof, something that is probably going to be leather or suede. I I actually have a pair of props with me here. Uh, they are the Mammut. They're from the Mammut brand. Um, so as you can see, this boot is quite durable looking and it is in fact uh, true. Um, this is a very, uh, I've had this boot for quite a while. So this too probably needs to be replaced. So this may be the last time you'll see these kinds of boots on, uh, at least on any podcast. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so these particular boots definitely will be heavier. Uh, they will also have a thicker, um, sole. Um, they are definitely meant to be worn in any kind of, you know, rocky terrain. Uh, okay to be used on beaches. These kinds of boots demand, uh, lots of care. Uh, and what I actually have brought with me is a boot suede care kit. Um, one of the kits that I use is uh, the uh, Gear Aid Revivex boot cleaner. Uh, I think I said that this is a suede boot. So the suede uh, demands a little bit of a different um, washing technique than something with leather or nubuck. Nubuck is basically suede that's turned inside out. Um, and it okay. is... Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting material. It's a little bit higher quality than suede. Um, it's a little more waterproof, and there's a slightly different way of maintaining it. Uh, with Nubuck, I believe you actually have to um, you have to put a, a a type of wax on it. With with this with with suede, when you you know have clean you know brushed it, and actually this this particular kit comes with a brush. It's the uh, gear yeah the Gearade Revivex kit. Um, Come to the brush brush out all the dirt, uh, all the grime, um, and then uh, let it dry a little bit and then and then give it a good spray. Um, and it should soak into the pores and, and the boot should be good as new uh, with it being uh, freshly waterproofed. And um, yeah, let, it, let the waterproofing dry a little bit. So you'll probably wanna make sure you don't do the re-waterproofing on the night of uh, before the, the significant hike. But um, yeah, I mean, this the there are many boot kits out there that uh, that are designed uh, for specific types of material. So, how often should you rewaterproof your boot? Is it just when you're out and you're suddenly your socks are wet? Um, that's a that's a really good point. I think what I would say is wash it after you get back from your trip, um, just to make sure that 
the mud or any type of dirt that is on your boot, that dirt actually does tend to dry. And depending on the material, uh, it can actually dry and crack leather or and or suede um, or even um, uh, uh, nubuck as well. So making sure that that dirt is off the boot um, definitely helps keep the longevity uh, going much, uh, much longer uh, than uh, than um, when you don't <laughs> wash them. So the, uh, Lori from the Seabeck tribe said, how often should you wash and care? So you're saying after every hike. That's my suggestion. Now, I, you know, it depends as well, because if you are hiking in a very muddy area, then yes, definitely give it a wash. If you are, you know, on a nice dry hike and there's, there's no mud, then don't worry about it. Really. It's, if there's dust, the dust can kind of blow away. Um, if you have suede, the dust might, might settle in, but the, the biggest, the biggest threat is mud that dries. Um, so just, just be, just be aware of that. And the material, the boot is made out of, be it suede, nubuck, um, Gore-Tex or, you know, some other synthetic material, synthetic or leather. Yeah. Um, does that matter or is it just how it fits your foot? You mean like the material itself? Yeah. I mean, so what material do you think is, makes a better boot? Well, oh, uh, there's definitely uh, probably a very good uh, debate about this. I would say that if you want a good quality boot, aim for something along the lines of, of leather or suede um, or nubuck. Um, they will be a little bit more of a, of a rigid boot. It may take a bit longer for them to break in. Um, I find that when you wear backpacking boots, they take a little longer to break in than something like a day hiker boot where they're kind of already, you know, meant to bend um, and all that, I guess they're, they're, there's just less material, less material on a day hiking boot. So um, yeah, um, definitely it, it does depend on the material, but, um, and also um, the, the, the breathability aspect of things too, uh, as, as I mentioned. So um, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. We have another question from GSM times two. Uh, do hiking boots have better, longer lasting soles than lighter weight boots? Well, with my experience, at least um, my backpacking boots there, because the sole is so thick, they are going to last longer. But the the caveat with that is it's going to um, feel much heavier when you're hiking. I tend to get quite a, a thigh workout and, um, and, a, and a shin workout when I'm hiking up. Um, like, like if I'm using these on a day hike, then by the end of the day, it's like, oh, geez, my legs are just like really sore. Um, and maybe I could have worn a day hiking boot. Um, but Yes, um, because the soles tend to be thicker and because the, the backpacking boot itself is built to, to last those long days, then they then it is going to um, it is going to last longer. Yeah. yeah so, so Dora Mora asks, asks, can you please tell us which soles have the best grip on hills and gravel? Um, well, I know that Keen does make some pretty good um boots with with you know some some grippy soles um there are also other ways to i mean it, it, i guess in the winter time you can also use traction devices um it it does it I, I guess it's a good question actually i'm not i'm not too familiar with particular brands that actually um uh have i mean the, the boots that i have they they, they do the trick um, but because the sole itself is very rigid, if I find if I find myself on a on a rock, um, and I need that flexibility to kind of grip that rock, then probably like a day hiking boot would be a, would be a better idea or a, a, a better option uh, than than something like a backpacking boot. Um, when I went up to Cape Scott Provincial Park, that boot of choice, which was the ones that I just showed you, um, those ones were were far better because it was a long distance and it was flat. Um, it was, a, it was about 20, 24, 23, 24 kilometers. Um, and, uh, just solid hiking. And 
Um, by the end of it, yes, our feet were sore, but far better than something like a day hiking boot where your foot is the, just a little bit closer to the ground. And so therefore your, um, your, you're, you're going to start feeling it in your back or sometimes your legs as well, e even more so than something, than something than like, than, than, than wearing like a backpacking boot. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, MC three cats asked what material do you want to look for in a boot? That's going to be long lasting. And I think we talked about this leather or suede or Nubuck. Yeah. Um, I've been told that Nubuck has a little bit better quality than suede. Um, leather is always good. Um, that's, that's definitely something. Um, and another thing with, with leather, it does tend to be a little bit easier to waterproof in the sense that you can actually, get this type of wax and see if I can try to find it for, for everybody here. Um, it's, it's basically, yeah, it, it's like a paste that you put on. Uh, yeah, it's not here. Anyway, um, it's, yeah, it, you, you just kind of, you know, push it on, uh, get, get, get all the seams covered and um, it, it should, it should get the boot uh, nice and re-waterproofed again. So uh, one of the challenges I, I've I've found with with any sort of footwear is sizing. You know, mm -hmm. is, is sizing universal across manufacturers? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so North America does have a universal sizing, um, and definitely it it tends to be relatively accurate from from all the brands. But then again, um, as I kind of mentioned earlier about the Keen boots they tend to fit wider feet. So the brand itself might have its its own different dimensions. Um, I've been told that Solomon boots tend to fit more uh, uh, narrower feet. Um, Scarpa as well. Um, Scarpa kind of varies. I think they they, they try to, to include the, the wider footed people out, out there. Um, I myself have very wide feet. So I, I do prefer um, Keen or, or, um, or, or any brand like, like Mamut, for example, the ones that I, the boots that I just showed you, um, th those are definitely good for, for myself. Um, but, um, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, when, when you're, um, when you're in the footwear store, um, definitely ask for some advice and, um, and some insight on, uh, which, which footwear brand, uh, fits wider or narrower feet. Well, Keats, I think you bring up a good point. It's really worth your time to go to a store and try these boots on. You know, I wouldn't order a pair of hiking boots that I'm going to wear within a week from, say, Zappos and expect them to fit well and be comfortable. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, just a couple of years ago, my uh, I you know my wife asked me, "What do I want for I don't know if it was birthday, Christmas, Father's Day, some some gift?" And it's like, I need a new pair of hiking boots, and you know. She goes, okay, let's go out and get you one. It's like, well, you know, we'll go out and look. And, you know, it took me a couple of weeks to try different ones on, go to different store and find the ones that I go, oh, these are it. You know, they yeah. fit right. Um, I tend to have high arches and a wide foot. And there's, you know, not a lot of hiking boots that are going to fit me just right, that are going to be comfortable for an entire day. And and some stores do boot, boot fitting as well. Like, I know that at the, the place that I work at, we do have scheduled boot fittings. Um, so that's, um, and then maybe that's something that REI does as well. Um, yeah, it really, it really, uh, I, I kindly um, say to people, never buy shoes or boots unless you know the exact, like in, unless you've tried on the shoe before, uh, refrain from buying boots from Amazon or, you know, any anywhere online, unless you actually know like in, in, unless you've been there and tried on the right unless the you're replacing an existing model i know i'm wearing you know xyz and yep. i just want to get a new pair precisely yeah now um costs seem to range based on the materials for the boot or shoes made out of you know we talked about material here but what do we what are we looking at how's the best way to decide what material your boot should be made out of I think that I think that comes down to to preference, but also depends on where you're hiking to. Um, I I find that 
if you're wearing a leather boot, leather does like to be in a relatively moist climate. You don't want to necessarily be wearing leather in, in a very dry climate. Um, it, yeah, it does, it does depend. Um, I would probably say a lot of people like to go for the synthetic versions. Um, the Gore-Tex, I find, tend to make feet a little bit stinkier, but tend to keep them drier. So if you're okay, you know, taking your boots off at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, and, and um, you know, going barefoot in your tent, you know, then definitely um, um, be just, just be mindful of, of, of the material and, and how, and how well it breathes. Um, I, I find that when boots aren't, aren't breathable, then my feet are just, are just wet and there's no point in having a waterproof hiking boot. Um, and that's that same principle kind of goes for rain jackets too, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, it, it really does depend on, on one's preference. Um, I, I think leather is, is good, but um, if you get a more synthetic boot, um, which may be a little bit cheaper, um, may also be a little bit more flexible and maybe easier to break into. Now, when I go out and buy tires, they have a mileage rating on them. I know I'm going to get 50,000, 60,000, 75,000 miles out of these tires. Um, Dormore wants to know how long can, a, does a pair of hiking boots usually last? Are we going to get 50,000 miles out of a pair of boots? That's a really, really good question. Um, definitely the brands uh, are, are, you know, so some of the brand, the brands make some incredible rubber. My mom actually has a pair of hiking boots that she took up to the Mount Everest base camp. Um, and she still has them and they're from Scarpa. Um, great, great boots. And they've lasted her uh, quite a while. Um, the thing I would say is it, it does also depend on how often you use them um, for, for sure, but also, um, you know, how, how often they're, they're washed and scrubbed and, and that stuff. But really what, what's going to probably go and you'll know this when you're really looking after your boot, you'll know that when, when the, when the sole goes first and not the rest of the boot, that means that you've definitely looked after your boot. Um, so the mileage part, and that's a good question. That, that, that's a very interesting thing that maybe some footwear brands could, could consider is um, having a, having a mileage thing, much like car tires um, on the boots. But um, yeah. And it also does depend on what kind of, you know, ground you're standing on. You could be standing on a nice soft peat trail um, with like nice wood, wood chips, and you'll be totally fine for, for, for a while if you're only, you know, standing on that. Um, but if you're standing on jagged rocks, and I actually noticed, um, you know, on my boots, there are definitely some 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 scars uh, along the uh, the soles, probably for when I was going up, uh, probably Golden Ears Mountain, one of those very jagged rocks. Um, and yeah, it, rocks definitely play play a role in grinding away those uh, yeah those those soles. GSM times two says in the chat, it it seems that recent soles are not what Vibram soles used to be. I I've heard. I've guys. heard they, are, they yeah. lasted forever. Yeah, some things just aren't meant to last. You know, these these days, it's amazing. This is with my mom's boots. I mean, she she got them before I was born, and um, they're they're still still they're still kicking. And so are you. We'll see which one wears out first. Exactly. Uh, Cbec Tribe says, "What suggestions do you have when fitting?" or when fitting shoes that one foot is a bit bigger than the other. I have issues that one foot slides around more than the other. I say get two shoes of different sizes, just go through the boxes and make your own pairs, but stores don't seem to like that. Nope. Uh, interesting. Um, I guess it depends on how big a foot size difference it is. Cause the first thing that comes to my mind about that is um, I know that, there are different socks that may be thinner than, than others. And perhaps having a thicker sock on one, one foot and a thinner sock and a, and a thinner sock on the other one, perhaps that might help. But then again, one of your feet is going to be warmer than the other. Um, you, cause, and then that also makes it interesting if say you needed to return those boots, 
usually the store would appreciate having the same boot, like the same boot size. Um, yeah, I mean, if I would probably say you could also, uh, um, you know, change the the inner soles. Um, like you could probably add some some inserts that might that might help as well. Well, that leads right into the next question from GSM Times Two. And guys, thank you so much. The chat is just alive with with boot talk. <laughs> Maybe we should come up with a new podcast. Welcome to Boot Talk of the, the Northwest. Pod- Yo, yes, Boots of the Northwest, the only <laughs> podcast dedicated to Boots on the trail. Um, GSM Times 2 says, uh, what's your opinion on taking out the manufacturer's insert or insole there and replacing it with uh, another company's? I I don't see any problem with that. I know that um, certain people have, and I guess I will, I, pronation is still a, a very... Um, hard to define term from, from me. I could, I'm, I'm sure someone could probably look it up in the research department. Uh, but um, uh, from what I understand, certain people have uh, a more pronounced arch than others. Um, having arch supports definitely have helped me um, in, in certain shoes. It depends on the brand I found. Sometimes I don't even need arch, um, any, any type of extra uh, inner sole for my shoes or boots. Um, but certainly something like, uh, like a good, you know, just, just to support your, your, the, the, um, the, the under part of your foot is, is fine. I'd say. Yeah. And it, it depends. I've replaced the, uh, uh, sole, the insoles of some shoes and not others and they've worked out great. So, um, yeah, you might want to try it out. If it, my wife has some prescription insoles, I believe. And so, you know, they go from shoe to shoe to shoe. Um, you know, that's something you're going to want to consider if you get a hiking boot, you know, do you have enough extra space in there for mm-hmm. this? Yeah, because not all, not all shoes take, take another manufacturer's insole very well. That's right. Some of them are glued in or yes. sewn in and they don't want to come out. Exactly. Yeah. So, so Keats, uh, Geocaching Adventures, you know, can require all kinds of different training. You know, you're on a beach one day, you're going up a mountain another day, doing another trail another day. Then you got the seasons, you got snowshoeing, kayaking. You know, how many different sh- shoes and boots will someone need? This this could be, you know, potentially very expensive. Well, yes, that's a very interesting one. Um, I always like a good pair of lightweight shoes. Um, I my it seems since. I was very young. I've always seemed to go with with a nice pair of running shoes. But uh, now that I am going hiking more, I'm exploring more. Um, I I could probably say a good pair of hiking shoes um, would be a good option. Um, if you would really do, um, if you really are an, an avid hiker, then what my prescription would be is probably having a day hiker boot, and then also for times that you're that, that you're working or that you're at the office, just a nice pair of running shoes. Um, that, that would be what I would do. Um, if you are, if, if like, if, if, if you do go on a day hike after work, then, then something like that, that combo would be a good option. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it kind of goes back to one's, one's preference, um, in terms of what, what they like to do in the outdoors. Um, and I, I tend to go hiking quite a bit. So, you know, I got those backpacking boots for, for a reason. Um, but, you know, some people like to have that, that lightweight shoe there and that, that want to go hiking. So they'll go for that hiking shoe. So if I were to pick one, um, one shoe that I could wear basically at work and maybe go for uh, a brief hike um, after work, I would probably aim for a hiking shoe. Um, so that you don't necessarily have to change out of your hiking shoes to come to your hiking boots. So it's kind of like a hybrid. Um, so I probably aimed for the middle ground there. Um, yeah, and I, I guess, uh, you know, whether you are embarking on a on the next trip to, to Nepal or, or simply hiking up the Grouse Grind, I think it is always really important to maintain that footwear too. So um, yeah, then... As, as I said earlier, um, hiking shoes may have a slightly different um, 
you know, like if they're a synthetic version, there will be a different kind of spray with that. Um, so, you know, when you're at the, the when you're at the footwear store, just gather some expertise from the from the people there, and they'll be able to set you up with a good uh, a good wash and uh, re re waterproofer. Yeah, there's so many different brands. Just you know, really, if you have one and stick with it, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Um. MC3Cats asked, uh, what brand of boots tends to cater to folks with a more flat foot? And I told him just cedar planks. <laughs> he says it works well until you run into a termite hill. But you can, that, eat, you can cook salmon later, though. Oh, I don't want to eat salmon. That's <laughs> a really, really wash that. <laughs> Seasoned. Scrub it. Um, that's a, a that's a great question for a footwear staffer. Um, yeah. I am not uh, in particularly footwear trained, but I can definitely say um, Keen tends to. I mean, it tends to take me a while to break in the bottom of the of the boot, so those partic- that particular brand might work. Um, but yeah, definitely consult a footwear staffer for that because that's mm-hmm. something that they should be that they should be aware of. Well, um, and we're getting a little long, but that's another good point is take the time to break in your boots before you take that long hike. I think we mentioned it early on, but, uh, you know, I took mine and I wore them to work for a couple of days, you know, off and on for two or three weeks before I took a first hike in them mm-hmm. just to get that, you know, breaking in. Oh, yeah. The thing I, the, the thing I will say about, um, like I used to wear my hiking boots almost on a daily basis. Um, it's probably good after you have those hiking boots broken into that you don't necessarily wear them for casual purposes, uh, because what actually tends to happen from, from, um, some people, uh, that, that, that I've known, they, their ankles can, can weaken a little bit if you have that constant support around the ankle. Uh, so if you are, you know, um, not, not hiking, um, then wear wear some shoes to keep those keep those ankles strengthened so you don't um, you know roll over them uh, uh, when you're not wearing hiking boots and you've worn hiking boots for for a while and you step in a hole. There you go. Just saying. Yeah, I, I'm saying for a friend. <laughs> it's, so I just want to bring up a public service message since we're talking about the, your shoes, but you know, oftentimes we go hiking with, with our pets, you know, our dogs and such like that. And so our feet may be very well protected. Uh, I have a, but theirs may not be. So I, last year when I was doing cash dash and splash on the Washington coast, I was walking around and I didn't realize I was getting stickers stuck to my boots. I didn't notice it. And then I was walking we, and I had my dog next to me. And then all of a sudden we got to pavement and he was hopping and like, what's going on? He had all these little barbs all stuck in his oh, pads. So no. I was fine, but he was not. And that was painful to try to get out of his paws. Yeah. So so what's a good brand of doggy hiking boot? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do sell booties. And, yeah, and as well, yeah. you know, as long as, I mean, it, I think it takes a while for the dog to get used to them. Um, but yes, they do exist. And um, the amount of... Uh, um, videos I've seen on YouTube of dogs trying to get used to these things. It's, it's quite, oh. quite yeah. funny. It is. Yeah. I've seen them for the snow because you can get snow packed in mm-hmm. their, their toes there. Oh, yes. And then they freeze frostbite. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, again, if you're taking the time to break in your boots, help your dog build up their pads by walking on, you know, different material, not always grass, sometimes cement rock. Um, you know, the, the one, I had a pair of, of running shoes that I went to Craters of the Moon in, and they have what they call the aha lava. It's very sharp, oh, yeah. and it ripped right through those soles. You know, wow. that, that was the last of those running shoes. So I would suggest if you're going to Craters of the Moon, which you really need to, get a good pair of soles. Have some soul, man. Yeah. Well, folks, thank you so much uh, for listening. You guys were great in the chat. And Keats, Thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome. Uh, anytime. We couldn't we couldn't have talked about shoes without you. <laughs> well, thanks for inviting me on. We we would have been uh, lost, treading alone in this 
soulless realm. I can't come up with any more. I'm I'm thinking hard here. <laughs> uh, you're tripping over your own two feet. That's what you're doing. Exactly right. I'm tongue tied. Now let's lace all this together by saying thanks for tuning in listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode of cashing in the Northwest. We want to take a moment to thank land sharks, our corporate Denali level sponsor, you know, LandSharks.ca. It's the outdoor adventure and geocaching store. Check them out online or go in in person and visit their beautiful store uh, in Victoria, BC. They're open six days a week, except holidays and they ship online orders daily. And we also want to thank our faithful Denali-level supporters. That is Landsharks, JP Geo Designs, Limax, Team Squirrel, and World Caching. If you want to know more about supporting the show, click that Patreon link on Geo on the uh, CachingNW.com website. And of course, we take the opportunity to thank all of our patrons. All right, and here we go. So, Broncos fan for life, Sprouter, Camp Clan. Tick Magnet. Kevin MacD. How about Subway Mark? Yay, let's give him a hand. <laughs> Whoever that guy is. <laughs> Doramore. Dune Buddy. Kid Vegas 19. Geo Nav Pros. Wino Seattle. Acrodoc. Billy Robson. G Nice. Antaeus. Hey, how about Keats94? Let's give that guy a hand. There you go. <laughs> uh, Trexter Zero. MC3 Cats. Kennel Barb. M Nerve. Wet Coaster and Greenwood Words. Sege Hove. Ab- Alarobic. 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 Uh, Keepers of the Cash Flow. Highlands Guy. Geo Travelers. Boomer 365. GSM Times 2. Kitty Quest. And our newest T-Sayer. So, f- folks, thanks again. We appreciate each and every one of you. Now, until next week, if people wanted to stalk you online, Keats, where's a good place to think? I mean, not. Uh, to follow you and and see pictures of your travels and and the, the, get great boot advice. Yeah, the best the best place to creep uh, to to creep me is uh, <laughs> uh, Instagram. You can find me at Keats Morton. You can also find uh, me um, with uh, on Facebook uh, Keats ninety four is geocaching adventures on on Facebook, um, and uh, you can also add me as a friend. Uh, Keats Morton was my first and last name and um you can also find me on youtube um keys 94 gc and um yeah hoping to edit a few more videos and um get get more adventures out in on the interwebs cool beans subway mark if people wanted to track you wow you see how i did that that was that was really good <laughs> that, that was that was very underground of you yeah <laughs> oh uh where could they find you on the intertubes uh sure so subway mark uh, that's subway at gmail.com subway mark on geocaching.com subway market facebook uh but my website's ktransit.com just to mess everyone up uh, you and your subways yeah i know Go subway figure. mark Guys, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at CachingNW. At Instagram, I am Caching in the Northwest. Or head on over to CachingNW.com slash house. Read our bios. Find all those links that we just mentioned. And, of course, we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Caching in the Northwest. Don't forget that you can be part of the show. Call into 253-693-TFTC and leave us a comment, ask us a question, or let us borrow your high-powered telescope any time of the day or night. Of course, you can email us at feedback at cashingnw.com. Your support helps keep the quality shows coming. If you like this show, please click the Patreon link on the cashingnw.com website and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and so much more. Give us a thumbs up or even a review. The show is produced by Chris Umfenauer, Jim Paulwitz, and Jay Kennedy. The li- this show's license under Creative Commons Attributions 3.0 license, copyright 2019, by Chris Umfenauer. And folks, we ask you to stay tuned for the after show. Now, if you're brand new, this is your first episode of Cashing in the Northwest. You may wonder what the after show is all about. Wow, it's like it's like Wit's End is still here. He is. He's always with us. <laughs> uh, the after show is an opportunity for us to chat amongst ourselves with those who are in the live chat and are asking questions again if you want to ask a question for the the after show 
Okay, I promise it's the last time. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> use the hashtag FATAS. That's for the after show, F-T-A-S. And we get the first one from Seabeck Tribe, who asks, how's everyone doing with Mystery at the Museum? So I, I, I've I'm gotten all, all the clues. I just need to work on the gems. So yeah. it's been kind of fun to do it, though. It's nice goal-oriented. It really is. Uh, I like it. Keats, have you gotten out and done any? This is how far along I've, I've gone. It, yeah. Okay. It's, you know, it's good, not great, but, you know, it's, it's, it's progress. And, uh, exactly. You know, um, I'm just chipping away at it. Well, I was lucky enough that, uh, on our little vacation there, there happened to be 133 cash power trail with my initials on it. Nonetheless, I was like, this, this is calling to me. Now, <laughs> I didn't get all 133, but, um, you know, I was able to get through, the detective clue, all six of the evidence, and through most of the gems before um, I, you know, I decided I, I wanted to stay married to my wife, and that was long enough geocaching, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll find the rest this weekend. And then you've got to find a few more to unlock the vault and put the gems back. So we've got until August 11th. That's about three weeks away. Um, so don't wait until the last minute to get started on this. I, I think it's fun. I I agree with you, Subway, Mark. Um, you know, you have to go out and find a new cache. You can't find, you can't delete a log and then re-log a cache you already found. That won't work. They know. That's that's good to close that loophole. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, there's no trackables involved, so you can't, you know, log trackables to do it. Um, but you have to go out and find new caches. And, you know, for cashers who have been caching for a while, their local area may be totally cached out and that you may have to travel a little bit. But this is definitely doable in a day trip if you just want to knock it out all in one day. I'd be curious to know, like, by the end of this this uh what do they call it the the challenge uh challenge promotion promotion Promotion. okay i'd be curious to know um how like what what the average distance a cashier has traveled um, to to do this or to complete this um and also just the the rate of how many caches are found um within this time well um on geo gearheads we had uh chris ronan from hq and he was able to give us some stats. He says in the first week, 76,000 people found the detective clue. Wow. And then, you know, all the way down, I don't remember the numbers, you know, how many have found all the evidence, how many have found all the gems, but 2,000 people have closed the case. Mm-hmm. So that's the final, there are four souvenirs available. Uh, briefing, finding the evidence, finding the gems and closing the case. Nice. I know those aren't the right words, but. And all the more reason during this time to maintain your caches. Yeah, exactly. I know I have a few myself that I need to maintain. So. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's been fun. It, it gets you out and gets you to find caches that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have found this particular one. It's not your cup of tea, but it's got the clue in it you need. So you're going to go for it. Yeah, yeah. Yep, go for those lamppost skirt caches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I'm I'm a very goal-oriented cashier. I don't like just cashing casually. You know, oh, there's, should I look for a cashier? I like going out and, and looking for something specific. So mm-hmm. that's what I like about it. Uh, Iham says there's an Apollo 11 themed event cache tomorrow evening in Redmond. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but it's the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 uh, landing on the moon. So. I noticed on on uh, CBC, our, our national broadcasting uh, um, corporation, um, they were they were definitely um, broadcasting all the Canadian connections uh, that that contributed to this. It was it was kind of it was kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah, it uh, it's it was a great uh, time for our country. Um. Dora Moore says this has taken us farther afield than we expected. 
And Seabeck uh, Tribe just says, make sure you do the search feature to find the caches that have the clues in them you're looking for. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good point. So yeah. you're going to need the website or and or the geocaching app. Uh, any of the API partners like Cachely or CGO or GeoGo can't find the clues. The clues are are outside of their ability to look for it. So you can still use those to those apps to go find the cache, but you've got to use the website or the geocaching app to filter to know which caches to go find. Right. So I, I will say that, you know, I've had a, a an extended period of time with the geocaching app now, and I really like Cashly. <laughs> that, that's a positive way to say yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, did, did that come out wrong? You, you've learned to appreciate Cashly. Oh, man. <coughs> now you got me all choked up. <laughs> yes. Um, <coughs> it has its purpose, the geocaching or app. Um, it's gr- the message center in it is great. Which Which components could the, like, which parts of the geocaching app do you think should be improved on? Uh, for me, it's the compass. Yeah. The GPS update okay. yeah. real, real time. It's very horrible. It, yeah. It, it's it, terrible. It, it jumps too rapidly. I mean, mm-hmm. I would say I was standing at a cache and it went from two feet to, uh, you know, 0.1 mile away. It's like, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've dealt with that too. Yeah. It's uh, frustrating. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I spent, I, on this trip, I found uh, eight Delorme map pages that I've been looking for. There was one I spent more than half an hour at, and it was an ammo can, so it should not have been a hard find. Um, but it just had me in the wrong spot. You know, I'd walk up and down the trail trying to get recentered, and it zeroes in here. No, it was 50 feet that way. And it was like 70 feet off from where... Uh, the geocaching app had me. I finally went to Cashly and, you know, got within 20 feet of it. So it wasn't, uh, it, it shows it's not the phone's GPS. So. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't the GPS error. Yeah. I actually have found that when I am using my offline lists on that, uh, on the geocaching app, the arrow does tend to be a little more, a little, a little calmer than, than if I'm using data. Hmm. Um, hmm. This is what I've observed. Um, maybe it's, there are other factors, but the tree cover, like maybe that's another factor as well. But you know, you've got multiple radios in this little device that are all sending out signals at the same time. There's got to be some interference. Yeah. I... Right. There's got to be some harmonics dealing or that are that are interfering with the radio. So, you know, if you turn off Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and cell signal and just use the GPS, that's gotta improve your accuracy. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have data to back that up, but how can it be wrong? That's because you turn your data off. Oh yeah. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to boot you for that one. <laughs> that I mean, start it was running. a step in the right direction. <laughs> well, folks, thank you for joining us tonight. And until next week, get out and get caching in the Northwest. Good night. Good night.